This is a download from the Wireless Theatre Company. On Three by Stuart Price. Are we at the edge yet? No, a few steps further. For pity's sake, Clifford, open your eyes. They are open. I can't look down. Of course you can. I can't. I've been staring upwards for too long. My neck is stuck, and the breeze has frozen my neck ligaments in place. If I tilt my head down, something may snap. Come on, shuffle a little further. Promise you'll tell me when we reach the edge. I promise. Promise me. I just did, I promise. Mean it. I do mean it. I promise I'll tell you. How much further? Not far. Damn it, woman, be specific. In inches, feet? About three feet. Well, is that three feet in your world or three feet to the rest of us? What does that mean? It means you wouldn't know three feet if your life depended on it, which right now it actually does. So before we drop off this damn platform, is it actually three feet or are you guessing? It's about the length of the bonnet on the jack. The bonnet on the jack? Three feet? Are you mad? Well, I think I can safely say you're never driving that again. I never drive it anyway. Mind you, I might have to drive it home from the airport if you don't make it back alive. Oh! If the platform starts rocking and your ticker gives way, woo, woo, No, no, just stop it, stop it now, you evil witch. Ah, come on, I'm only having a little fun with you, Clifford. Besides, isn't the point of this whole exercise to drop off anyway? That may well be the case, dear, but I would like to have some say in it, if and when that happens, not be bullied into it by you. And how will you know when you reach the edge if you have your eyes closed? My eyes are open! They're looking up at the sky, not down at the floor. Pity, it's really quite stunning up here. How long do you think we get? Hello? Hello down there? How long do we get? He's just shrugging. I suppose he can't understand me all the way up here. How long... No, woman, you... stop bending over. You'll tip the platform. Stop being a baby. I think he's signalling something. What? Oh, in our own time. When do you think you may be able to go? In my own time. I blame him anyway, smug little shit. Watch your language, Clifford. What? We're a hundred feet in the air. Who's going to hear? I'm your wife and you should have the respect not to use such foul language in front of me. Sorry, dear. But it's all his fault, my feeling like this. I was fine on the way here. I was fine when I saw the bridge. Then he starts spouting all that nonsense about disclaimers and heart conditions and sign this form, sign that form, and, and, it, and it put me out of kilter. He's just doing his job, Clifford. We're far too old to be doing this, and you know it as well as he does. Well, then they shouldn't have allowed us to do it at all, rather than take our money and make us sign our lives away. OK, enough is enough. Are you ready? No! We can't stand up here all day... And I, I think I'd better remind you that it's not our money, it's the charity's money, and we aren't up here for our health. Couldn't we have run the bloody marathon instead? No, Clifford, it wasn't on the list. Now, listen to me very carefully. I want you to start taking a few deep breaths and gathering your composure. All these histrionics, while deeply amusing to me, aren't getting us anywhere. We are doing this here, now, today. Me, you, both of us. Do you understand me, Clifford? Clifford! No need to use your big voice on me, Anne. I mean, it's, it's not like I'm backing down. I'm just a little scared of the height. And the wind isn't helping much either. Well, you shouldn't have eaten that steak and pepper slice from the petrol station on the way here. You know how pastry disagrees with you. The breeze, the breeze up here, woman. It's rocking the platform. I know, dear. I was trying to lighten the mood. Is there anything I can do to help? Yes, stop making fun of me. 
Now, what I think I need is to rationalise the situation we find ourselves in. I am a rational man. I need rationalising. I need logical conclusions. So we are 100 feet in the air. Anne? What? Confirmation. It's all part of my steps to rationalising. Are we 100 feet in the air? Yes, Clifford, we are 100 feet in the air. OK, we are 100 feet in the air. And we are on a platform, yes? Yes, on a platform. Which extends out from the side of a bridge. Yes, it extends out from the side of a bridge. OK, and we are harnessed to a giant elastic rope which is attached to the bridge. Yes, we are harnessed together and attached to a length of elastic rope, which may or may not be shorter than 100 feet. And... Well, did you measure it? How do we know? That's it. I'm getting off. Oh, come on. I'm trying to lighten the mood. Of course the rope is shorter than 100 feet. It's 40 feet in length. The man said so. Stop being cruel. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Continue rationalising. Right. So, we are to jump from this platform and fall through the air until the elastic rope takes up the slack and swings us beneath the bridge. That's the theory. Okay. And we are to fall... And then, when the elastic is fully stretched, which will be the point when our heads are dunked beneath the river, below, momentarily, then we are to shoot back up a distance of how many feet? I don't know. About seven jag bonnets, I would say. Anne! I wasn't teasing. You said I don't know feet and inches, so I'm giving you the measurement in jag bonnets. Okay. Then we are to repeat this process of bouncing through the air until the spring has gone out of the rope. Then we get lowered onto a dinghy... And the ordeal is over. Yes? Yes, that was all about right, Clifford. Well done. And we are both pensioners by some distance. Yes. So, to put the rationale another way, two married pensioners are about to fling themselves off a bridge on a giant elastic rope. Yes. What if I have a heart attack on the way down? They say that when people fall great distances, it's not the fall that kills you, it's the heart attack on the way down. It's the mind's way of coping. The fear gets you so that you don't feel the impact. I highly doubt that. Look, look down there. Queue of people lining up to do it after us. And countless people have done this type of thing, and and they didn't suffer heart attacks, so I don't believe we will either. And if you do, then maybe the dunking in the river will revive you. Why is it suddenly me that's having the heart attack? I said one of us might. You're saying that I will. What about you? You might have a heart attack on the way, you know. Yes, I would say, based on our current state of mind, I am definitely equally likely to have a heart attack. On the outside, I may appear calm, but believe me, underneath, I am a maelstrom of panic. Are you? No, I'm fine. How can you be fine? Because I'm picturing Christian's face, looking at me, smiling, out of the clouds, from heaven. It's right there in front of me. I feel that I could reach out and touch it. His smile tells me that it's all going to be just wonderful. Heart attack or no heart attack. You really ought to open your eyes, dear. It's really something to look at, this view. I'm still not sure I can open my eyes just yet. Can you describe it for me? Of course. Well, the valley of the river is stretching before us, snaking away into the horizon as far as can be seen. The water below us is greenish-blue, and and the light dances from it in silver flashes. As the water runs away, it becomes the colour of lead, but but not so dense and lifeless. Not not lead, maybe. The colour of a storm cloud. Until it becomes just a line of black reaching up to meet the line of the sky. 
The rock face on either side is red and sandy. It looks almost fluffy, like it was made from painted cotton wool. Like a hand could reach out of the sky and pick a chunk out of it to eat, like popcorn coated in... Ha! <laughs> popcorn coated in some Cajun spices. And the sky itself. There are clouds scattered, but it doesn't look like they're all marching in one direction like you usually see. It looks like... They've all come to watch us, like we're on a stage and they're the audience, gathered to see what happens next. And sat on the whitest cloud, right in the middle, is Christian. Do you see? Yes. Yes, I see. It's beautiful. See? No need to be afraid. Mr. Davies, welcome. Thank you. Please sit here. Thank you very much. This is your first time visiting a therapist. Uh, yes, yes. How does this room make you feel? Oh, it's, it's fine. I, uh, yes, it's fine. Good. And why have you decided to try counselling? What, um, what brought you here today? Well, uh, I suppose I, I don't really know. It's not something that I was ever brought up around. It's not really part of the fabric of the society that I was raised in. <laughs> However, recently my wife and I have found things extremely difficult to cope with. I feel that I'm no longer a source of strength for her to draw from, that she is supporting me as well as trying to cope with things herself. Is there a particular issue which you feel may have caused this? The death of our son. I see. Would you like to tell me about it? Well, I don't know whether I would or not. I, I, I find it difficult to talk about. What good would it do? He's dead and no amount of talking can bring him back. But, but, forgive me, you are alive. And the therapeutic process very much centres on talking about the issues that may be preventing us from leading a more fulfilled life. Tell me, what are your expectations of therapy? What do you hope to achieve? I don't know. I'd very much like to be able to... I feel that anything I say to you, I'm merely saying in a language that's appropriate to therapy, like I've seen on the television. I really didn't want to come here and speak in a generic and generally floaty language. Then don't. Whatever you say to me here is completely acceptable. This is a chance for you to speak, that's all. I want to be able to make my wife laugh again. I used to make her laugh all the time. And so could our son, Christian. He could make her laugh, too. I think it was the thing I was most proud of as a man, that I had created a whole person who was able to make Anne laugh. It was as if I'd doubled what I could give her. Arrogant, I know, but you should hear her laugh. It's infectious. And when Christian and I joined forces, my God, we could make her roar. She once wet herself, you know. <laughs> the honest truth, she wet herself from laughing. Christian had come over to visit, and we were cooking on the barbecue we have out on the patio, and a particular song came on the stereo. We always insisted on music in the house. Lots of music. Classics. All we were doing was a little cook-and-dance type of thing, you know, flipping sausages in time to the music. 
It was the way he smiled. Anne always said he had my smile, and I was flattered. But the truth is, when Christian was born, he invented a whole new smile that humans hadn't seen yet. It was alive. It, it would spread. It had its own spirit. He smiled at girls in the supermarket, and they dropped things. He smiled at people in the street, and they would stop walking for a second. He really did. But she laughed and laughed, and suddenly she clasped her hand over her mouth in a look of surprised dread and hilarity, and then she ran off upstairs, and Christian and I both knew what had happened, and we couldn't stop laughing either. <laughs> she came back downstairs, fully changed and so sheepish, but not embarrassed. <laughs> it's so odd that one of the finest memories I have of my family's time as a complete unit centres around my wife's wetting herself. I know what you're thinking. You may be a therapist, but you're still a person. I bet you're thinking cancer. Has to be cancer. No, the other one. He died of AIDS. You know that I nearly laugh sometimes when I have to tell someone that. I think it's because of how utterly ridiculous it sounds coming from my mouth. It's the kind of thing you never think you'll have to say. He became ill, he moved back home for a while, became really ill, and we moved everything he owned back to our house. He lost weight, his skin died on his body, and all that we could do was to stand and watch it happen. Thank God he was strong enough for it, because Anne and I certainly weren't. Then he died, and it's as simple as that. And we have grieved. We have grieved. And now I want to make Anne laugh again. Anne, what are you doing? Hello. Is that tea for me? What? Oh, yes. Thank you. What's that? It's a box I found. I decided this morning to come in here and clear up. That's very brave. Would you like some help? Yes, please. Look. What's this? It's a list he made. It doesn't say what or why, just a list. Machu Picchu. Well, what on earth is that? I don't know. I don't really know what most of it is. Oh, look. Manicour. That's a racetrack in France. He loved the oh. Formula One. And look, Tromso. It's in Norway. Do you remember that friend of his he had from university? Mm. That's where he was from. What did you used to go on about, about that place? Oh, yes, it was the Northern Lights. He wanted to see them. Yeah, it's probably places he wanted to visit, things he wanted to see. What else is in the box? I don't know. I feel like we're snooping. I always worried about that, being a snooping mother. But I don't know, really, what else to do with any of this stuff. Should we leave it? Donate it? Throw it away. Remember that bloody device you bought him for playing the films? Oh, the DVD player? <laughs> yes, why? Because, look, here's the manual. It's thicker than the bloody Bible. Someone once sat down and wrote a 1,000-page manual on how to operate that bloody thing. Mm -hmm. Why did nobody think to sit down and write a manual on what to do if your son dies? And would you read it if they did? No. Come here. We should go through each thing and decide if we want to keep it, donate it, 
or if we can throw it away. Mm. And we will do it together, and we will listen to his CDs while we do it, and we shall read his books as we go, and we shall celebrate the fact that we are lucky enough to have met such a wonderful man. And that's that. Thank you, darling. Okay, let's have a look at this list and try and see if we know any of the things he wanted to do or see. As good a place to start as any. Okay. Are you ready now? Right, ready. Wait, do you still have the list? Yes, hold on just a second. Here we go. Do you have a pen? Do I have to think of everything? Yes, I have a pen. Here, do you want to cross this one off or shall I? No, you can. It's the last one, dear. We've done it. Before we go, which has been your favourite? This. Right here. I've never felt so close to you or to Christian. It's beautiful. Although I can't think what possessed him to put it on the list. It was very outgoing. Here we are. B.J. Queenstown, New Zealand. I'll be honest, I was very relieved when we discovered that B.J. in New Zealand meant bungee jump. Otherwise, this trip might have been ever so awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Ready? Oh, God. Here we go. Do a countdown. Okay. So let's jump. On three. On three or after the three in place of the four? No, on the three. One, two, three! On Three was written by Stuart Price and directed by Tom Brazier. With Timothy West as Clifford, Prunella Scales as Anne and Morgan Giles as Steve. It was produced by Marielle Runnicker-Temple and edited by Neil McIntyre. Visit www.wirelesstheatrecompany.co.uk for more audio downloads.